0: Hello there, welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, well, week, what an interesting concept. I'm not putting these up every week anymore, but I'm doing them as regularly as I can. Got a real life, guys, you know, pretty busy. Um, but yeah, this week, my guest is Luke Logerman from UNFD and Unified and Unify Festival. He's got a lot of jobs gets a lot done. Um, Luke works with bands like In Hearts Wake and North Lane as well Um, and you know all the bands that are on those labels and have bits to do with those uh, touring companies and things like that as well and he's been doing that stuff for a long long time so it was really uh, good to talk to someone who's been I guess actively working in the music industry in that sense for quite a while Um, and quite interesting to talk to him about like you know, the lessons learned and the mistakes he's made along the way and how to, you know, you figure out your way around those things as you go. Um, So, yeah, it was a fun chat. Also, it's like, you know, uh, I guess a a style of music that's not um, really in my wheelhouse that they sort of work with, but um, one that has its place and it, it, it makes up a huge portion of what is represented as Australian alternative music. So, it was really fun having that chat. Um, me, I've got Mental Cavity, my new band, doing some things. You can check out our, um, EP online or you can, um, buy a tape, whatever you desire. It's on Spotify and all that. Streaming places as well. Bandcamp too. Uh, I'm in the new band, Year of the Rat. Not really new, but uh, our record's coming out on Resist Records on the 21st of April, um i've got some new episodes coming out soon excitingly um these episodes will start getting played on hysteria radio so hysteria will be you know uh, premiering some of these and putting some of these up and um yeah like it'll be a really good relationship i think with them getting to sort of add some music to this as well obviously the podcast will still go up as normal on my um, things too but <clears throat> yeah it'll be really cool having it up there Getting to hear some music, um, getting to hear some different things from uh, the people that I talk to as well, uh, which is cool. And yeah, so as that develops, you'll see it go on the websites. Um, The Oblivious Maximus website has changed to obliviousmaximus.net. And otherwise, just follow us on all the socials and everything. Give us a rating on iTunes if you desire. Give us a review if you desire to. That's cool. If not, totally fine. Live your life um yeah but yeah so here is the latest oblivious maximus this is episode 61 with luke logerman from unified i'm aaron osborne enjoy the episode brutal My podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Thank you for having me in your office or well, your building, not your office. Building. This is my <laughs> office.
1: This is a much better office than my office. It was very nice.
0: Yeah. Um. All right. So I start all of them by asking people how they got into music. What was the first thing that kicked you off in music?
1: Uh, I guess for me, uh, it would just be my mum. She's a single mum, and she was really passionate about music. Instead sort of just always. Put it a bit on a pedestal and made it feel like something that was really super important to me. And uh, yeah. some of my earliest memories are like her and her friends listening to The Cure and The Smiths and stuff like that. And, and so that she was a thing. cool mom. she's a cool mom, which, yep. which is kind of sick as well. And it's like, and, and and then later on when I got into hardcore straight away, she was just like, yes, that's cool. Yeah. Whereas like before that, when I was buying like Michael Jackson and Seal records and stuff like that, like she wasn't into that. So I actually, yeah. had a mum that was trying to push me away from the mainstream kind of thing. It's that's why sick. I end up So weird. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, and was that like, like what was her relationship with music? Like, like, obviously she listened to cool things, but was that something that she, you know, felt was important to her and was like, like, I mean, I guess so for you and me and people who are part of this sort of subculture or whatever, a lot of us came to music through like a necessity for something, filling a void, having, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people listen to alternative music because of like. Trauma or divorce and things like that, where like I think I think that interests me a lot. So like someone like my mum, my mum was also like quite passionate about music and stuff. And I think her taste came from like a reaction to her upbringing. So that's why she got into the stuff she got into. Is there could you see
1: something like that in your mum? Like yeah, I think so. I think like just the time that she would have. I mean, I think she left home when she was quite young and and uh, and sort of just went out on her own and playing guitar and playing music and playing guitar live and being a singer songwriter. She was really into stuff like Joni Mitchell and stuff like that. And I think she just like really learned uh, that music was a great escape. And that's what she always kind of taught me. It's sort of like, I think, uh, you know, as I was growing up, you know, I, I didn't have that many friends at my school and I'd, be like oh well but I've got these friends in Wollongong or Newcastle that are into this hardcore punk music so I want to yeah. go see them and she was always like well cool if it's music that's your escape from the thing that you don't like at school then that's yeah. it so it's absolutely what you're saying it's like it's sort of an escape but it's also something that I think she put as like really high regarded like it's a high form of art and that's something yeah. that I've always like had instilled in me is that it is a really really important uh, communications means it's an important like community kind of thing and it's it's something that uh, that matters rather than yeah. just throwaway kind of thing
0: so when you got into like punk and hardcore yeah. and stuff was that through <clears throat> like how did you get there from the stuff that your mum was listening to what was like the path there for you like I mean if, so for me for example it was just like again like I said before like it was sort of reactionary so for me my parents got divorced mm-hmm. and I was like you know, the stereotypical pissed off 13 year old who needed new metal. And then it, it came for me. <laughs> you needed that alien outfit. And, 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 and I just, yeah, like, exactly. you need to feel like a smooth criminal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that's, that's like how it was for me. Like, that's how I found that stuff, you know. Cause before that, it, for me, it was like hip hop and stuff. And that's how I got there. Yeah.
1: It's funny. I, so I went to Penny Hills High School, but I only started when I was about 14. So, you know, you're a bit of an outsider when you come in, like, year yeah. nine kind of thing. And uh, there's a guy called Dave Ward uh, who has sadly passed now, but he was really, really into hardcore and punk. And somehow I just hit it off with him really early. Yeah. As soon as I heard that kind of stuff, there's this band called FYP that we're just obsessed with. They're kind yeah. of like, I didn't think, I didn't really know anything about them now because yeah. a band that was there in the 90s. I think it started off with them and then onto DRI and stuff like that. And I'd already gotten into The Clash and, and Black Flag and a few other bits and pieces through my stepdad. So that was weird. But I, I don't think I connected with it until... I just met a couple of friends that liked that kind of music. and Yeah. Um, and back then, there was a really, really cool scene, which meant that it, there was a lot of zines. And it's like, so, you know, you go to a show in Beecroft or, or Hornsby, up kind of where I lived. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be, like, a guy selling in the scene called Meat and Three Veg, and you'd read about that. And then you'd write to a few people there, and there's a band called Ceasefire and bands like Arms Reach. And then there was, like, a talk is cheap fanzine. All of a sudden, there's like this network of people that you could go in there. You'd find like an ad. And when I say ad, like I don't think anybody paid for these ads. I think they just run like a little flyer. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it'd be like, trial and error, Distro. And you'd be like, cool, I'm going to write to this person. And it turns out that's Nigel. And Nigel sends me stuff. And then, yeah. And so it just became this, like it became like a way of making friends. And I think that, When you're socially awkward as well, like writing letters to people is heaps better. And by the way, it was letters, not emails. Yeah. Which is also like mad. (laughs) Like to think very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you get home from work and oh from school I should say. And straight away to the mailbox. Yeah, there's a letter in there from friends. But um I can't actually remember what the question was. No, no, But no, no. I'm like, just rambling. Just, just but... getting getting to alternative music. Yeah. Like... I think it was just, to me, it was just a, an easier way of, to make connections with people yeah. than being at school and all the politics that come along with yeah. that. It was a really honest art form. Like, this is what unifies us. This is what we believe in. You know, I, I found Straight Edge and then eventually vegetarianism and all that kind of stuff through there. And, uh, I think it was just like a really, really important, um, way for me to connect with people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, mean, I had a similar thing where like, I, I don't feel like I really had, you know, I had friends, obviously I'm, I'm not a social psycho, but like, I, I didn't really feel like my, um, the relationships that I formed with people were really like fantastic until I started meeting people through music. Like that was sort yeah. of how, I, you know, found myself and found, like, my confidence and, you know, like, that stuff, like, sparked a lot for me, not just liking something, you know? I reckon
1: it could be, like, that there's, like, you know when you're just speaking with someone at school, it's like this general conversation. It's hard to like find common ground with someone that easily, especially if the common ground often is like just kind of bullying or teasing, which is a lot of what (laughs) kids do. And I think like all of a sudden you're with these people and the common ground is this thing. And all of a sudden that's an easier way to build a relationship, I think. For some people, not for everyone, people can just be general, but like I kind of don't know anything about anything except for like the five things I like. Yeah, yeah. So I know he's about, I can tell you anything about basketball or like yeah, yeah. music or like whatever, but I, I can't tell you shit about like the other 99% of what's yeah, out it there and I think that's important. It's really it's passionate.
0: It's really bizarre and that like this is, like this is. I was having this conversation with some people a little while ago about how, to so my sister's a very smart person. She's, you know, got a law degree and she's really smart and she works in the government and like, oh great. She's two years younger than me, which is funny. But, like, you know, over the Christmas time, her and my mum were talking about, like, stuff about legal things. And my mum was basically asking my little sister for advice. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, when is my mum ever going to ask me for, like, what are the hot tips on guitars? Best, like, hey, like, God, yeah, yeah, exactly. and I'm like, I'm ready for that conversation, yeah, yeah. mum. But, like, it's, it's like, uh, that's just something for me. Like, I don't, those aren't really conversations I enter in. Like, I mean, I do have a professional life and I'm, I think I'm good at what I do and I'm good at my job and stuff like that. I've been doing it for a long time. Kids need you, man. Yeah, they do. Someone's got to teach them. <laughs> yeah. um, I was talking about the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but you know, like, so I can talk about things like that, but like you said, I know like a handful of things that have very few applications to real life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I know much about music. I know much about like guitar and metal and stuff. And then like, I know quite a lot about kids, like right. working with children. That's great. But like that application ends at children. <laughs> the good <laughs> news is
1: like, I imagine you're probably like late 20s, early 30s. I don't know. Yeah. But like, you know, that application of the kids is going to become more and more apparent yeah, as your life yes. goes on. So you can finally apply that to conversation. You can stop talking about like Grindcore or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not going over too well at <laughs> yeah. the parent groups.
0: Um, but yeah, like I think, I don't know, that that's, that's definitely been a part of it for me. And that, that's what this is, like, that's what doing this podcast is. The, the point of it was just, is, like, to talk to people about their relationship with music and, like, how, because f- for me it's been such a positive thing where, like, you know, like, okay, so, yeah, for example, meeting, yeah, obviously playing music and stuff has meant that I've met a lot of people and that's probably how I met, you know, it's how definitely how I met you, it's how I met, you know, my best friends, all that sort of stuff, but, like, I don't have to be fantastic at doing it Mm. or like successful at it, but I'm still in a position where I've built these like fantastic relationships because of it. So it doesn't have what, you know, some people would identify as like the stereotypical form of success from playing music. Yeah. But like the relationships I've built are like, that's the success for me. Like that shows that, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's funny. Like, I mean, I, I, I thought about this really, really recently and I was like, I don't think there is one person in my life outside of like my family hmm. that I didn't meet in some way through like punk rock music. And that includes, and, and I mean, I've got, I've, I'm kind of blessed as well to have spent the last 11 years working sure, yeah. full time in music. So it's really has gotten to a point where there's just no one there. Like whether it's my girlfriend who I met through this and, and every, every single friend I have and every relationship all around the world, every single person I know is through yeah. music. And that's pretty sick. Like I yeah, really like that. I reckon it's like, it's it's more than delivered for me it kind of is everything for me so yeah it's it's great
0: and that's i mean it's another thing that i've talked about on this quite a lot in the past though is how like like the idea of friendships as well is quite different for people who've done it through music as well so like in the sense that like you know i do have lots of friends who live overseas that mm. uh, you know a lot of other people probably don't have that many friends and that i like in that sort of ilk that i've just met through touring or going there or seeing bands or whatever and then but not only that the fact that like those friendships have managed to be retained like i grew up for a, a portion of my life overseas and i don't talk to anyone from growing up over there mm. but then i got all these friends in america that i know from playing stupid fucking shows you know like <laughs> yeah, it's, right. like it's it's a really weird dynamic like you would think that i would have met you know, managed to retain someone from a time when I was actually present elsewhere. (laughs) But what's come is like being in some, a band from Canberra that fucking went around playing with people, you know, like that's, and it's surprising. That's the way it is. But I think to that credit, it's like, it's been a great way to like retain friendship and keep it constant as well is because having this thing, that's this common you know, talking point or common ground is just always comes back up. It's not, mm. you know, and I think as well, like if you're at a point in your life where you, you know, like, like twenties, thirties or whatever, it's quite evident, at least for me now that like, I'm not going to stop liking this stuff anytime soon. And <laughs> yeah. if I was going to, it probably would have already happened. Yeah. You know, like, um, but so like for that, so, so for you, like when did, when was the turning point from liking music and making friends through music and stuff, when did that become, oh, maybe I will do this for like my living? Where did that occur for you?
1: Well, what's kind of really interesting about that as well is that like when I was young, like maybe 10, so before I was really even into music, I got kind of obsessed with like the idea of like stuff like charts. Sure. And like looking in liner notes of records because like my uncle Ben who used to live with, I'd just be looking through his CDs and I'd be actually more interested in the liner notes and stuff. Hmm. So I've actually and I showed my. By the way, I gotta say fiance. I said girlfriend before. She's my fiance now. I just did job. I'm adjusting. You're earning yeah, that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I went back in. Um, I was showing her like a couple of months ago, but it's like I got an old box of stuff from my parents' house and I was actually making album covers and like this is the first album, my debut record, and writing like production notes and stuff and putting myself <laughs> down as like not even in the band like for other artists. Yeah, that's so I, funny. It's real weird and then straight away i always wanted to run a record label but of course like i didn't have the money to run a record label until i was sort of working full-time when i was 18 but weirdly i can say that it has always been the goal yeah it it never hasn't been i never wanted to be anything else I maybe an nba player but like when i didn't get any taller than five nine it it made that impossible (laughs) so for me it's kind of like just it's all i ever wanted to do and i I never wanted to be in a band i never wanted to play in a band i just really really learned to run a record label yeah right um and now I do. And now I do other stuff as well. But it's like, you know, the record yeah. label is still the heart of everything. And it's funny because then the, uh, the other person that um, I'm actually sitting in his chair right now is Jaden Comerford, who is my boss, who I've been working with for 11 years. And he's the same. It's like all he's ever wanted to do. Yeah. is run a record label or, you know, work in music. So it's really interesting that, yeah. that we both sort of found each other in that way.
0: And so what what was your first opportunity to do that then from going from making your own little things? Where, where did you find yourself? Like what? You know obviously running a record level and you know working in the music industry the, the level of passion needs to be there as well as a level of like business sense and you know <laughs> and like no,
1: like you gotta have stamina yeah, like yeah. just, you, it, yeah. it sucks for so long you, you can't just <laughs> do
0: you can't just release records because you think that you know you like them you have to be sensible about how you know yeah, you're well, doing it yeah you learn that yeah. um, <laughs>
1: I started a fanzine first called Counter-Attack or X Counter-Attack X. And that was like, and then I had that and I was putting on shows um, at Hornsby PCYC and stuff like that. And then um, it was a band called Nintendo Police who were from my local area Went, and like I was good friends with a couple of the guys. Um, and so I put out their record in, I think, 2000. So I guess I'm 18 then. Yeah. And uh, And yeah, put that out, made 500 copies, like, you know, and then ended up sort of that didn't like obviously didn't sell very well but then we did like a headless horseman record and uh be occupied with some youth headless horseman split and we did all this kind of stuff but back then it really was a hobby i just loved the idea it wasn't like i wanted to make a career out of it because you don't think about it in that yeah. way it was more like i was working so i could have it but i think the time that i really just went hell i want to i want this to be my career is like i went overseas with a friend's band and did a european tour and um and then I just like, I think it was just, it maybe even on the plane on the way home. I was just like, hell, I gotta make this. Like, you know, I've been talking about this since I was like, yeah. what, how old? And I really want to do this. So I came back and that's when I really put everything into it. And so I ended up working with uh, a band called Staying at Home, which mm-hmm. is Adam Lee's from Lung's uh, first band. And uh, another band called Stan Chevelle, who are awesome. And just sort of went all in on it. And at that point, it's like whatever money I was making for my day job, which is like you know i had an it career so i was doing all right i was just like spending all that money on doing it and to the point that i actually got myself like pretty bad in the hole (laughs) um as as we all do really really bad in the hole um but i just like i just was really into it and like you know really just took on the highs and lows of it all and just wanted to do it so bad and you know, I was one of those stupid idiots that went, I'm going to release a record, so I'm taking out, like, a full page ad in the drum media. It's like, that's bloody $900. Why did you think that was going to sell? I'm like, cool. So where's... I was going to sell some records. Yeah. Right. Like, where's I, the $900 yeah, return? Yeah, like I remember the first time I went in to go see Richard Kingsville, I went in there, and I just... Like, it would be the most embarrassing thing ever. He's just like, why are you bringing me this? It's <laughs> like 90-second, like, weird uh, math rock kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and... But, yeah, like, the the... The only time I actually got to make a living was when I eventually met Jaden and, and came and moved to Melbourne to work for Boomtown Records. So it, it took until 2006. Yeah. So it's basically like doing it amateur for three years and then trying to do it more professionally for three years, losing a lot of money. And, yeah. and, and then it, I got the opportunity, the golden opportunity. And he asked me to move down and I packed a bag and moved down like literally like five days later or something, quit the yeah. job on the spot. Yeah, so, that's sick
0: but so yeah. what what were then in that six year window then what would have been the lessons that you'd learned that are ones that have sort of shaped you in terms of your ongoing like i guess contribution to such a industry cool. i suppose
1: the biggest lesson i should have learned is like don't bite off more than you can chew like really yeah. to walk before you can run but i probably haven't really learned that lesson i've just got better at running quicker so <laughs> sure. i tend to just be like hey i want to be a tour promoter I'm going to be a tour promoter like I just like go for things head first still but maybe I've just gotten better at doing that. Sure. Um, you know, the I mean the other thing is just to run budgets and to actually think things through financially. You know, yeah. it, it it's, look uh, I'm sounding more, more and more like a business guy the way I talk about it, but the thing is it's so much fun and it, it's so awesome doing all this kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have some kind of business acumen no, behind exactly. it and you should research it. And even being in a band, I feel like bands should still do things the right way because I mean, you like it's a DIY band, whatever. But you still probably should have an ABN, and you probably should do your do your taxes, so one day you don't end up like you know getting fined and and getting killed. So yeah, that's the main thing I learned is no matter what sort of you know level of things you want to do, put some research in, make a budget, stick to your budget, and do and like do it the proper way. Yeah, And, and that's that's all the stuff I didn't do, and you
0: know. Yeah, well, I think and I think that's something that maybe lots of like. I mean, and you, like you said, you you learn that through the mistakes you make. Like you, and I mean that that's that would I would be the same if I was talking to a kid about learning something at school or whatever. But it's like, I think allowing the opportunity to fuck up is you need to have it. Like oh, yeah. you know, you can't. I would be surprised, and and this is I didn't, and this, I guess I've sort of brought this up on the podcast before as well. But something that I thought I've always thought is quite odd, particularly about people that do um that like study things about music that study like music business and things like Mm. that a lesson that i feel like is always missing from doing a you know diploma in music business at tafe is like you have to fuck up a lot so that you know what not to do like you know and the only way you can do that is not by listening to someone talk to you about you know writing up this thing or doing that thing it's you have to go and do it yourself like like you said, like getting an ABN, the first time you learn that you need to get an ABN in a band is when you go, hey, pay me. And they go, you didn't have an ABN, so you're not getting paid. And then you go, oh, fuck, I better get better get an ABN. Like, you know, and yeah. and like, you know, that that was the first time I learned that. That was like, oh, invoice me. And I was like, mum, what's an invoice mean? <laughs> you <laughs> like, get one of these
1: like receipt pads out, and yeah. just like write it down on there. Yeah. It's like, that's not going to cut up. No, exactly. Yeah. And
0: she was like, Get an AVN, it's free. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like, you know, but similarly, and then, or you learn off other people who've made those mistakes before. Like, you know, you learn from yeah. touring. And You're I think a really early one stuff. for
1: bands as well to learn is just like, okay, so your mate said he's going to book you. It's like, just have that conversation. Like, all right, 10% are you going to tell? Or how much money are you taking from yeah. this? Do this. And then like, have a quick chat with the rest of your bands. Like, cool. If we do somehow get $500 for a show, like, how does that get split? What are we doing with yeah. that? Like, just those little conversations, just that transparency is just like, and then bands get to this point where they're at a certain size and songwriting splits, like the guy that wrote all the songs isn't getting his cut and all sure. this sort of stuff. And that's when they start fighting and it's the same with any business, right? It's like, you just, you got to learn the things. But back to what you're saying about people who study there, I guess like what they don't teach you is that you need to take risks. And, yeah. um, and you know, if there's a textbook already written about it, it's probably, that's available to anybody. Yeah, so that's yeah. the information you can get, but you're going to need to like network and find out from other people you can minimize, like, the amount of lessons you have to learn by just asking questions of people. Yeah. And uh, most of the people I know who came and went in music, in the business and stuff, are usually people who came along thought they were that like fucking mad cunts and just went, like, yeah, I'm, I'm killer. And they never asked anybody any advice. And yeah. so just learn to ask people questions is another really big thing. Yeah. Like, even, um, you know, it's like, 11 years into doing this professionally full-time, still just asking people questions, like just calling guys and just being like, oh, girls, sorry. And just asking people like, what what did you do in this situation? What, is there any advice you can yeah. be here? And, and you know, and I know that there's people that are way more accomplished than me that still ask other people questions. Yeah. And do things, and but it's I mean, it's,
0: it's incredibly naive to think at any point that you're going to be like the, the smartest person in the room at whatever you do. Like, I mean, particularly in something that's as like, fluent and like ever changing is music. So I guess another thing that, that you know this sort of discussion brings to me is that like you know you come from a similar background as I do in the sense that like I came from the same thing in the terms of like looking at liner notes and looking at like signing up for the roadrunner thing and getting all the roadrunner CDs yeah. mailed to me and things like that and like going to the shop and buying a record because of a cool cover, not right I didn't know what everything sounded like and I didn't have the access to that. But now, like, that's something that where the world has had to, like, grow along with that. And Mm. certain aspects of it have gotten thrown back, like, the resurgence of vinyl and things like that. But, like, I mean, that, you know, how did that for you, as someone who would have started at the point of, like, zines and things like that and moving Mm. up through, you know, pressing at a time when you would press CDs, like, that was a great idea for, you know... To just yeah. be making CDs or whatever. Yeah. But so how, how did you see like when the, you know, the internet and all that sort of stuff sort of popped off, was that something that you, that worked to your benefit at
1: the time or was that something you had to learn your way around as well? Well, what was kind of cool is that like as I was coming up and, and, and doing all this is that um, you're coming along and it's, you know, the physical like stores and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of like a, a an old man's club in a lot of ways. And yeah. it was hard to get a look in. Like, So for us, we come into it. It's like physical CDs are still like a really big thing. But at the end of the day, we weren't sort of able to get into the heads of people at JB Hi-Fis or back then Sanities and stuff like yeah. that. And so we actually ended up learning to embrace the internet really early because it was actually a way for us to finally connect with people. Like we yeah, couldn't sure. afford to take out ads in big magazines and we couldn't get stuff into rolling stone and we couldn't get stuff Mm. and even blunt back then seemed like this big thing that we couldn't really touch so we had to embrace the internet and uh as a result like i think that we were kind of really ahead of the curve on even just embracing itunes and definitely now with streaming we just have embraced the hell out of it because Mm. i mean you got to be you got to look at these things and go well that's the future am i gonna sit here and try and stomp my feet and and you know uh fight it or am i gonna go with it because if we go with it it's better for our artists in general and, and you'd be su- you'd be surprised i mean streaming's great like our bands are making so much money like say you released a record in 2010 or 11 you know in the physical world it was probably dead it would probably stop generating any income people have probably just download it for free now sure now people are still streaming it and all these records that were making no money for artists are now making all this money for them so they're starting to like really see that effect the way yeah. that they can survive so we just embraced all these different technologies, whatever it may be. And then like, look, I get older. I feel older and older by the minute. Like, yeah. you know, I'm sitting in the boardroom with a whole bunch of my staff and they're just like talking about like the new Snapchat. And then they mentioned like Boomerang or something. I'm like, what the hell is Boomerang? I'm really just trying to get my head around Snapchat. Like, I'm yeah. fucking, like I just got Instagram like half an hour ago. Like it's it just like there's so much stuff, but you just got to, yeah, you got to embrace it because, and bands embrace it as well. But the best thing is, is that we still get to go back and do vinyl. Yeah, and that's yeah. really early on what I what I wanted to do, and not so much with, with Boomtown. So the evolution is that we had Boomtown Records, but we sort of evolved that into UNFD, which we needed a fresh start. And we wanted to make it more of a like a label that was more reflected the personalities of the people working on it. Mm-hmm. And so when we started UNFD, one of the main things I wrote down, I remember I wrote down like 10 things that I really wanted for the label. One of the main things is I wanted like a vinyl culture as uh, so I always loved like Bridge9 and how much they embraced that they almost took that stuff that was happening in the 80s and 90s and took it really seriously with test pressings and different colorways and yeah, all that sure. kind of stuff and second pressings and so we've done that and now it's just like taken off like there's like a Facebook group that we didn't even create which is like UNFD Vinyl Swap and it's like 16,000 members or something yeah, like crazy. that on it. and so we just like we, we still embrace that old stuff I mean we've released uh, tape pressings and stuff that's when you really know that the kids aren't listening to the music on the uh-huh. vinyl or the tapes is uh-huh. when you're releasing tapes but we get to embrace old technologies as well and yeah. then like the new thing that I, i'm starting to do is i want to kind of make cds feel important again yeah not like cds like in jb hi-fi but like getting like a recycled paper slip card and like putting like a polaroid photo in there and a, and a thing and like trying to make cds because i think that all forms of music still represent people's love for it yeah and streaming's gonna dominate and within five years we'll be laughing about the time that we're paying for a download of mp3s it's yeah, just yeah. Be like what do we just pay for like it doesn't even exist yeah um but streaming is going to take over but the one thing that'll never go away is that old physical world and and yeah and i want to make it as important as possible right that's people. sick
0: but yeah. I, I think i think the other thing too is that like because of the prevalence of streaming like i mean <clears throat> i think it's the most important if you're releasing music now and you are not putting it on a streaming service i do not understand why you would even consider doing it, right. Because every like, even if people are like, oh, I don't like it, everyone fucking uses it. So take that ready ahead, yeah. yeah. Okay, ready ahead, <laughs> fucking suck me off, get on Spotify. <laughs> um, no, it, you know, like, uh, like it's fighting like the inevitable. Why would you, you know, it, no. it's, it's like people who keep servicing old beat up cars, like, just let the fucking thing <laughs> go, like, yeah, get the new thing with that has you know. Power steering, man. It's a whole world.
1: Wait, home telephones.
0: Why the hell have you got a home telephone? What are you using it for? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, like, you know, and that, so, but I think because of that, it is like, you know, it is important to have the other side of it because I think a lot of people, particularly those who are like passionate or enthusiastic about music, definitely still feel a connection to owning it. And, like, I mean, I. I know that I can, you know, I know how it works. I'm a part of it as well. Like I know that if you stream something enough, it generates revenue, but I don't feel I'm contributing as much as I do when I literally have something that I can hold in my hands because yeah. I get something out of that. And I know the other person the, or the other people are getting something out of that too. So I feel like it, it sort of makes that connection a bit tighter almost, or like, I yeah. feel like, you know, I'm sort of contributing to, you know, if I want a band to stay around, I'll buy the fucking records, you know, like, but I mean, obviously I know that from putting out my own thing. So I would like, like to think that people buy them, but you know, it's like, I think that's something that's gotta be, if you're going to have that mindset of contributing to the ongoing success of something, you need to be able to contribute to the things that back that up as well. Yeah.
1: You know, it's like, I mean, it's just like the economy of, of everything nowadays. It's like you, if you're streaming stuff, that's cool. But then like, you know, you know that when you buy like a vinyl record from now, more to the point, probably a merch design, you buy from the merch desk, you know that out of that like 20 or $25, at least like after the manufacturing, 10 bucks is going to the band that keeps them alive. They keep making music. I mean, it's, it's simple maths, but people don't always make that connection. And uh, I think, yeah, the, not everyone wants to wear a band t-shirt, but yeah, Maybe they just want a vinyl record in their collection, but yeah. I'm addicted to it, you know? Like, as soon as I love a record, i just got to have it physically. Yeah. And, and, and now, I don't... I mean, I don't think I've even unpacked my record plans when we moved house last. Mm. So, all the vinyl's still sitting there, but I still just need to have it. Yeah. It's still a cool record.
0: And it's still one of those things. Like, I don't... It, it's, like, the most cliched thing to say about records and vinyl collecting and stuff, but, like there really is something about fucking opening a record and having a big, you know, if it's like a gatefold having this huge thing or, like, if it's got a big insert or, like... Splatters and the way they mix the colors
1: mix and stuff and they're different. Each one's unique. Yeah. You know that they all look different. That's cool.
0: Yeah. And, like, I mean, and I still have a similar thing to yourself, like, where... I really love seeing like sick stuff on like liner notes and things like that. Like seeing like someone thanking someone that you're like, holy shit, this person knows this person or like this has this cool thing. Like I remember one of the the things that's like the coolest thing in my collection is like this, an old Sepultura record and it has this big sticker on it about like, several jurors say no to drugs and i was like i didn't know that several no, jurors no. weren't doing drugs like <laughs> i thought that was all drugs. they were doing and i'm sure that's not stayed consistent but like <laughs> in this period of several jurors, they were very against doing drugs and i was it's that's really kind of- it's really bizarre little like sticker with their logo on it and stuff like and, but like cool things like that like uh now and again like that nugget of information is going to mean nothing to my mum and like nothing to my <laughs> life. A bit of knowledge you just... But like off. it worked for the two minutes of conversation we're having about it. So, you know, yeah. it paid off. Well done. Yeah. Kept that in the memory bank
1: for, for a good <laughs> amount of time.
0: Yeah. But like, so, I mean, I guess when you get past, you know, you get to the point where you're down here and you're working on, you know, a label that's now established and that you've sort of helped develop into something else... Um, what was like, what was, I guess the first point for you with, you know, with UNFD or whatever, that was like the thing that made like, this is now, I'm re- this is real. I'm really psyched about this. What was like the
1: first thing that brought that enthusiasm for you? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm generally pretty enthusiastic about everything I'm working with. Like, I'm yeah. just like a naturally kind of pretty enthusiastic person when I get real passionate about something, but I mean, we had a lot of success with uh, with two bands, I guess, like the Getaway Plan and the Amity Affliction, right mm-hmm. around the same time, and it was just so weird to just all of a sudden have songs, uh, have albums in charts, and bands yeah. selling out, manning bar shows, and that kind of thing, and that's when I first started to realize that it could be real, and yeah. that was actually. It was actually terrifying yeah because it kind of like <laughs> i don't think i ever saw longevity in it like well you know when you're 23 or whatever you, you don't really see longevity in anything yeah. but i just it always felt like a really temporary thing because it's like we're releasing cool records by like you know or common and and you know a bunch of other bands but and they were doing well and it was fulfilling and stuff but when it was like oh crap this is actually working like stuff could yeah. happen here and you know we're selling like thirty thousand copies of a record it was that happened pretty early on and i was like oh man, what am I doing here? And I, it's yeah. funny, I actually quit around, like the, around 2011 and it was part of the, just like the pressure of everything and just like, oh my God, like I can't believe this. But, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> Jadden chased me down the street actually and was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck this. It was stormed <laughs> out, and chased me down the street. He's like, what's wrong? I was just like, it's just all overwhelming and stuff. And that's when we really regrouped and that's where the UNFD thing really started and took off we decided to like, we're biting off more than we could chew and let's put everything into, um, into just like, you know, exactly what we want to do, write a proper mission and vision and do everything properly. Yeah. And uh, that that's when it so that's kind of the point where it became real. And I want to do this properly and I wanna like make the right moves and, and develop careers of artists and that's gonna be the thing that I do forever. Yeah. And I haven't really looked back since then.
0: So how so with that change then, what what were like the the things that you guys envisioned or had in mind and have those things come to fruition for you like were there plans that you set out were there goals that you had that you achieved and what were those
1: well tenfold it it has and it's funny because like it's we don't just do this label we do a lot more you know like uh, across the company um which you know i was the first employee and i've been here for so long but we've grown and we do all this other stuff, you know, we got like, uh, we do Vance Joy, Violent Soho, Amy Shark, like all this like massive stuff all around the world. But as far as UNFD goes, it's like, we did like create this, culture and that's i really wanted to create a culture that was like the revelation records kind of stuff back then for Jad and epitaph was like his like thing but either way like similar labels like sure. there's so many bands you could actually call them a genre yeah yeah it's like oh there's like those revelation records bands there's the epitaph bands 100%. and now i actually hear it every now and again it's like oh one of those unfd bands and that was cool and and also i think it's, it was cool because i don't think they all sound the same like yeah. i wouldn't say that is murder sound like hands like houses no it's more sure. like a kind of culture between the artists and, and also a collaborative spirit between a lot of the artists like North Indian Hearts Wake you know, did a collaboration EP together and they're always like touring together and like you know Hellions and and Northlane are always like together. And it's like all these bands are there. That's what we wanted to create. It's like create a scene, I guess. Sure. And a and a culture behind it and a brand that kids could trust and you know, I mean, on Friday I'm actually going out for dinner with two kids that I just that are you know, a lot younger than me, but they're obsessed with the UNFD. They buy all our records and stuff. And I'm taking them out for dinner just to say thanks and have a couple of beers and stuff yeah, like awesome. that. And, and there's actually like a scene around it. There's kids that wear like the label T-shirts. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, and it's, it's cool. I mean, the only other label I can think of that's like that now is like Poison City kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we've managed to do that. And that was like one big goal. And then the other big goal was like, hey, we don't want to have that old thing where it's like, oh yeah, you guys are making money and all your artists are poor. We got like a lot of our artists are making a living out of this and they're doing yeah. this full time. And that was also important to us that it was just sort of like longevity. And I mean, we've been, we've been working with Amity now for over 10 years. Mm. And that's cool. It's like when bands never leave, like they stay with us, they stay friends with us. You yeah. know, like uh, one of the hardest things with wedding planning is how many bloody band members <laughs> I have to put on the list. Yeah, for sure. broke but like it's that and i mean that is a good way if any of you listen um <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah it, 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 was, it was those kinds of things it was like it was very like big hypothetical kind of just vision sort of stuff of how we wanted it to be um and 100 percent is delivered and it's like it's really cool it's pretty it's fun and, and the, the people we have here are sick like there's so many good friends and been yeah. out of hire. Like, I mean, just last month I hired my best friend, and oh, like, awesome. yeah. So there's like all these friends. You hired my best working. friend. <laughs> yeah, I hired your best friend as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and and, and pretty much a lot of the people that work here are kind of new for a while. Before yeah, I hired them, and it's like everyone started to work together, and it's really cool. It's yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. So, <clears throat> I guess then,
0: where does where where would like that culture or that uh, that sense of community that you've sort of built now? Where do you see, like, that going? Like, what what would be the ongoing, you know, thing that you would like to see come of that? Like, obviously, you know, there's people wearing the shirts and there's people that are enthusiastic about the label and the scene that it's sort of created. But what, like, where do you see that like going from there or do you have a hope for it from there for any? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a plan. Um, so we, two years ago, we started our London office and we started a European operation with a guy called Ben Potashnik, um, who's an absolute legend. Uh, he came from being the editor of Sound for uh, like four or five years and he started that up. And since then it's like, you know, North Lane headlines and plays to 800 to a thousand people, you know, how many plays to 1500 to 2000 people. Uh, you know, these bands are touring Europe doing these like three yeah. times a year um you know wakes all through the us uh so really like the first part of call was europe and and now we have like a UNFD stall at like slam dunk and grows rock and a few other festivals mm-hmm. um sort of starting to build that out and it's it's working for us and i think we might even end up well we're signing a german band really soon um, I don't think the deal's done. It's really going be done this week or something. By the time anyone hears this. <laughs> uh, we are working on signing like, you know, we, we've got a couple of American bands. We've got architects who we don't have for the world. But the, the next port of call is like making this a European thing and then making this a US thing. So yeah. we um, we just opened our LA office as well. So that's uh, going to have a new staff member start in two weeks' time as well. So yeah, it's really like sending it international and making it a really big deal. And that's that's for the sake of the artists as well because I think most of them have ambitions to go over there. But it's also just, I mean... We've got a pretty good foothold here. Like I think yeah. we're on like seventy five percent of our capacity of what this label can do here. Mm-hmm. Probably like five percent overseas. So yeah, that's sure. that's the fun that's the part that's the most fun to grow. Because yeah. it's like it's got you are looking forward to the most amount of things you going to have to achieve. And it's a grind. I mean, you have to wake up really early to speak <laughs> to America and then like stay out really yeah. late to speak to Europe. But yeah. It's it's awesome, man. Like I travel a fair bit and and every time I go overseas there's just great friends everywhere. Like yeah. you said, like you know. I feel like I'm touring the world, but... Yeah, well, no, you are. But I don't stink as much as like, <laughs> someone who's was touring the world. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> shit bars all Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, but like... I And I guess I, that's... A, I mean, we were speaking about before, but like a thing that... Um, I think is always going to be kind of the plight of being here and being so far away from everything is that like stuff from here... Has a fairly limited capacity for what it can achieve in Australia, but that's a good thing. It because is. It that's is. That's why the artists are so creative. No, it most is. Most of them
1: started out with no hope, and that's yeah, what's absolutely. sick about it. Yeah. You know, they they created art for art's sake, in, as opposed to like you know, I started up. I want to be in a band. And I want to tour America, yeah. and I want to be on this festival, and I want to play Warp Tour, and, and it's just like no. They're just like, well, I hope one day I might be able to get a slot on Unify. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And that's like the the end goal, and it makes bands so much better because yeah. they just focus on. What they want to do
0: well yeah like i mean i think if if i didn't have like the dream at one point of playing fucking you know woden youth center in canberra like if if i had <laughs> higher aspirations than that i probably wouldn't be doing what i was doing but like i think it does it does definitely instill a little bit of like puts a fire in your belly a bit because you you got a lot more to climb you know like yeah. it's but i think uh, you know an opportunity that is really lacking for a lot of people here is Like you said, it's good for the bands that you're already working with, like regardless of where you would end up with things overseas, Mm. that's always going to still benefit the thing that you're doing here as well, Yeah. because all it's going to do is help grow what's here anyway, through whatever avenue that it ends up over there. But like, I think a thing for me is, so if that expansion and this growth then comes for you guys, what how do you see that then affecting what you do here? Like, how do you, how will that come back to you here?
1: You know? I think this is always going to be the home for us, but I think it's, um, it's one, it's like giving the artist the opportunity to do it. Then there's also just like finding American bands or English bands or German bands that fit the aesthetic as well. And it becomes this worldwide kind of scene or sound or sure. network. That's kind of the trickle down effect. Um, one of the cool things I reckon that, that always happens as well, is I remember actually seeing the first time that, in heart's wake went overseas and i think i saw them just before and i saw them just after and what what will happen when a band plays 30 shows in 32 days or driving the band they become so much better and so much like more i don't know instead of just like focusing what they're doing it becomes natural to them and they become more emotive on stage and they become like this energetic beast and i think that's something that is awesome about having these networks the bands just get better here like here's still the heart of what we do and sure and we've set up the business in a way that all the operational stuff is always going to come out of Melbourne and so even if we've got satellite offices overseas the heartland's always going to come through the same people and what that means is that every artist is kind of going to be uh, thought of marketed as you know A&R like all through the same in the same kind of way and that's Mm -hmm. the way that we make sure that we're signing the right people and and working with the right people and that kind of stuff. So that that's kind of the benefits of it is that, you know, bands can tour overseas and then bands can come back here and it still runs through what we think is a really good operation. Yeah, sure. To grow.
0: And so has that, has like the way that you guys work here by, you know, by way of the label getting bigger, the bands getting bigger, like more finance being involved, all that sort of, and the, then the troubles that come from that, the difficulties that come in line with that as well has that at all affected do you think or the way that you guys collectively look at how you run things here like do you think those have had an effect on like say if you know something's gotten from at one point it was doing selling out the manning bar right and then now it's selling out festival hall or whatever do you still think you have the same outlook as selling out the manning bar or do you think your outlook is developed
1: it kind of gets like it's hard to say but it's like you know once a band's got to a certain level here. Yeah. It's kind of like the wow factor's gone. Sure. I still get off on the, the next band coming through and it's like yeah. for us at the moment it's like this band Ocean Grove is just blowing the fuck up and they're mm-hmm. just doing so well. I still get like this massive kick out of seeing them sell out a show to three hundred people. You just get so freaking excited by that. Yeah. And then I think um it's it's the same. Like I mean hands like houses played at the corner last week and I was just so damn excited and it's like yeah, it's still exciting when Amity plays to 9,000 people at the River Stage, but it's like, you know, we've done that before. So, like, sure. the, the, the new thing that comes through for us is just, like, breaking bands and new bands finding their ground. So, that's why I don't think it can ever get boring. Because yeah. Because it's just, like... These it's still are the, coming up, yeah. Yeah, there's just always new people to, yeah, sharing it with. Yeah. So.
0: And so, is that something that's still actively part of what you're doing then? Is it still trying to find a lot of younger, new stuff
1: here too? Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Like... Yeah, we listen to every day. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and sure, sometimes though. it might be only 15 seconds, but <laughs> trust me, like I've, I've made the right decision after those 15 seconds. But for the most part, we try and listen to everything, and give everything a shot. I don't go to as many shows as I used to because I, you know, I like being at home. I sure. love, I love. And you work my, at shows. My <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone here loves going and seeing new bands and finding new talent. I think that's like the, that's almost the coolest part is just like, Ooh, what could this, how could this band grow? Like, you know, who are these people? It's like, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah. So,
1: sick. Yeah.
0: So what's, what's like your coming up for you? What are things that you're excited about with the label or yourself?
1: What, what's like, yeah, you know, the um, stuff for you? Really excited to get married, actually. <laughs> That's go. happening this year. That's going to be incredible. <laughs> um, and then our honeymoon, we're going to try to go see the NBA All Star Game. That's going to be sick. so sick. That'll be cool. Um, in terms of work, I mean, we. I mean, the festival is incredible. So we did our third year this year, and mm-hmm. um, this was like three days, two nights, like seven and a half thousand tickets. It was incredible and it's like the amount of stuff that we learned and the amount that i got out of that and and now planning for the next year it's actually the most fun thing i do like out of everything it's like booking the festivals just so much fun because it's just it's weird it's like piecing things together and trying to think (laughs) about the way that you would have been as a kid and the excitement and joy that you would feel i I mean i hated festivals as a kid but i would have liked this one yeah um but yeah that so that is really really cool um we launched a thing called Vinyl Club, which is really cool. Which is just like a select member of the kids that collect our vinyl, and we make limited edition pressings of a hundred of all the favorite records for them in Sick. certain colorways. And there's a forum, and we talk to them a lot, so that's really cool. And yeah, it's a, that, and, and yeah, the overseas stuff is is it's all fun. Like, there's just so much stuff always going on yeah. here, and it's and and people like in this office are all working on different stuff, but um, you know, every, at at every, any given moment, we're all like. You know, talking about all the different cool shit that we can and will do. And the best yeah. thing is we actually do it. Like we don't just talk about it, it just tends to happen. So Yeah, sick. That's the fun hmm. stuff, man.
0: And is there like is there like do you see like do you see a limit of what you feel like you guys are able to achieve here? Or do you see like nope. you know, avenues for things ongoing?
1: Yeah, there's always new stuff, man. Like, yeah. uh, you know, um, I'm eternally ambitious just as a person in general, and I'm just always thinking new stuff. I mean, like, yeah, we've started some other labels in the hip hop world and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. and uh, in the dance world, and um, you know, started a touring company which we're doing. We'd, love, you know, there's just always new things, but I never feel like it's too much. And then maybe that, I hope, maybe that'd be my downfall one day. But as long <laughs> as it's all to do with the same stuff, like I guess the artist is the core of everything we do it's all about music like we're not interested in nightclubs or like poster companies or whatever the hell else um, other people do but we are really interested in just doing anything that's to do with touring music live music and that kind of thing and we just we're inbuilt for it you know what I mean so that's like yeah. you know we say no to a lot of stuff so don't get me wrong we don't just start anything but yeah, sure. definitely anything we're passionate about it feels like within these walls would be eternally possible to do yes yeah, so. all right yeah.
0: well thank you for talking to me um i wish you all the best with your upcoming <laughs> endeavors
1: cheers man um and Not yeah yours.
0: yeah and fucking you know hope to you know we talk again in like a couple of years time and then look back on where the be yeah,
1: we fucking bankrupt wishing <laughs> you didn't start another 10 things right <laughs> yeah we'll reflect we'll reflect all right sick. yeah cool man thanks Catch, Dude. Bye.